I had some friends who were having a child. And so they were like, can you be the guy we call if something happens and you can stay with our other kids while we make the mad dash to the hospital? That sort of thing made me like, that was like a dream scenario. For me. <laughs> like, Being on stand by for maybe, someone yeah, in case of emergency. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I was on call, you know. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we are going to talk about type number two, the helper. I love twos. I know. I I do too. Hey, just a reminder, if you've not yet listened to the type two episode from season one, uh, Sam and I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that before continuing this episode, because we're going to dive pretty deep pretty quickly, and uh, listening to that episode is really crucial for understanding this episode. So just a reminder, Type 2s, when they are resourceful, these folks are caregiving, they're generous, they're compassionate. Mm-hmm. And when they're non-resourceful, they have this need to be needed, um, they can be very people-pleasing, and in a result of that, they deny that they have needs after all. So this season, we're asking the question, how can I change? Before we move on to the good news, I think it's first important that we acknowledge the bad news. And Sam, you're so good about helping people <laughs> hear the bad news. Yeah. Um So our beloved twos are in the heart triad. And as we know, those in the heart triad, their core struggle, their core emotion is that of shame. And so for the two, uh, their shame uh, gives birth to the deadly sin, um, what we call pride. So pride is the thing that they deal with the most. So let's talk about the top three particular ways that this deadly sin of pride can manifest itself for type twos. And we're going to call these the three problems. So Mm. problem number one. Ignoring your own needs and feelings in order to maintain relationships. Twos struggle to acknowledge their own needs, their own feelings, um, because that pride gets in there Mm -hmm. and starts saying, like, you don't have needs, you don't Mm -hmm. have feelings. But it's in service of what? It's to preserve the relationships that they have. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I think that twos think that the more they can accommodate and help other people, that that will take care of themselves somehow. You know, instead of being honest and having a two-way relationship, they think if I just maintain this one-way relationship, that that will be life-giving for me. And that actually drains the two. They deny their needs in order to make sure that everybody else is happy and pleased and likes them. And, um, and of course, that comes from like, that that feeling like someone's going to reject me. And mm. so um, so I need to deny all of my my needs and make sure that you're taken care of, because as long as you're taken care of, then the relationship's going to be OK. Yeah. OK, so that was problem number one. Problem number two, controlling relationships with people by shifting to help or please. So, again, this goes back to um, the tendency for twos to to say things like, I'll take care of it, or I wanted to do this for you, or to text someone and say, like, hey, like, how are you doing? When really, they're the ones that need help. So 
they can come off really flattering or overly needy or just kind of intrusive. Yeah, or the twos um, can sometimes, if you're in a conversation and uh, like they're hunting for a need, like mm. the, the other person's needs, mm-hmm. um, even though like the other person is not in any way portraying that they have a need in that moment. But the yeah. two is like on the hunt. And that is a way to, again, to solidify the relationship. If I'm indispensable to you, then I can make sure that this relationship stays intact. Yeah, then you need me. Yeah, then you need me. Mm-hmm. And so there's a posture of controlling that doesn't seem like controlling. It's a pretty sly thing, but it's actually, it is a controlling component in the relationship. Yeah, and I think twos need to have a warning here um, with this kind of, Uh, propensity that you all have, this can really slip into codependency really quickly. And so um, twos are kind of drawn to people with a lot of needs because that helps validate this internal uh, void that you may be feeling. So codependency is something that you guys will probably struggle with if you aren't already. Well, that leads straight into problem number three, which is avoiding rejection by avoiding boundaries. And again, it comes back to this idea of making yourself indispensable. As long as I'm always available, always pleasing, Uh, that you always have needs and that you need me, Mm -hmm. then everything is going to be okay. But to live like that requires that person to not have any boundaries, like no sense of, hey, I'm not available at that time. No, I can't say that. No, I'm not willing to do that. Like that Mm -hmm. is hard. Yeah, I think a lot of twos believe that the word no is like, like this like sworn word you never say. Okay, so that is the bad news. Like, you know, that stuff's Mm -hmm. like some serious stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But there's good news. And the good news is that, yes, that's our false self at work, but Christ invites the two into their true self in Christ. So as we've already talked about, folks in the heart triad struggle with the issue of shame. And what is the remedy for shame? It is God's delight. So the only way for a two to really transform is to experience God's delight, like a parent who just like delights in their child, not because Mm -hmm. their kid cleaned the house, not because their kid like wrote them a nice note, like Mm -hmm. the parent that just dotes on their kid because it's their kid, like that they just like love them and celebrate them. And our belief is like if a two can really get to a place where they really believe that God delights in them, then their shame can be healed. And then they can move from a posture of pride to a posture of humility. Yeah, I think Psalm 149 verse 4 is a really important verse for the two. And it says, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. So with that, let's explore what living a life of humility looks like for type twos. So we're going to take these three primary ways that the deadly sin manifests itself for this type. And we're going to explore the specific ways that God's delight invites us all out of our false self and into our true self in Christ. So we're going to look at each problem again and then offer solutions for that problem. Yeah. And they're going to probably be a lot more tips than you can actually like memorize. Yes. So just like focus on a couple of these and then just as you're ready, you know, revisit, uh, revisit this list again in the future. And just to note here, we've adapted a large portion of our teaching from Beatrice Chestnut's The Complete Enneagram, but we've infused it with Christian theology. Okay. So Sam... Kick us off. Okay, so just a reminder, problem number one, ignoring your own needs and feelings in order to maintain relationships. And so the first solution for this problem is to frequently check in with your needs and feelings. Um, so twos can do the work of stopping, reflecting, uh, journaling, I think is a really important practice for twos to, to start to get into and really kind of create margin. Yeah, I think, you know, there's uh, there's the book, The Modern Enneagram, and mm-hmm. they ask this great question for twos. They say, if you were to care for someone else, what would you do for them? 
write that down and then just do those things for yourself. Yeah. Like it's pretty simple. Like what would you do for somebody else? Do that for yourself. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the second solution. So the second solution for this problem is learn how your needs and feelings create and enhance rather than cut off relationships. And basically what that means is this. Reciprocation matters in relationships. When you never have needs and you never have feelings, that that creates a lot of problems in relationships mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. no genuine relationship is a one-way street. A healthy relationship always means I have needs, you have needs. I have feelings, you have feelings. Yeah, you know, it's it's a gift for other people to be able to serve you and to bless you and to help take care of you. And so with you, withholding that from them is actually doing more damage to the friendship. Yeah, it, it reminds me of that quote from C.S. Lewis where he says, friendship's born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Yeah, that's so good. Okay, so solution three, recognize that growth is a process. Twos love to solve problems and they have a ton of grace for other people, but twos really need to learn to have grace for themselves um, and to really kind of sit with the mess, sit in the imperfection and don't just try to rush forward all the time. And each day is another day to try again. So maybe yesterday wasn't a great day. That's okay. The Lord's mercies are new every morning. So that's a new opportunity for twos to learn to try to set boundaries and to try to to try to be open to your feelings, be open to other people. Yeah, and just remember this too, like it's called the fruit of the spirit, not the chia pet of the spirit. That's true. And so fruit just takes time. You know, that's a picture of a garden. It's a picture of, you know, someone who nurtures the garden, cares for the garden, waters the garden, you know, and th- it just takes time. So mm-hmm. just be patient with yourself. Okay, so those are some of the solutions for problem number one. Let's talk about problem number two. Problem number two, controlling relationships with people by shifting to help or please. Okay, that's the problem. Here is the first solution. Free yourself through healthy separation. So that means, like, it reminds me of uh, Proverbs 29. Uh, It says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. It's just, it's important that you don't live a life 100% consumed by the needs of other people, that you don't live a life where all the decisions you make are about, you know, is this person going to be upset with me? Are they going to dislike it? Or how will they think more of me if Mm -hmm. I do that? If you are always living under the unending pressure of people around you, like that's such an oppressive way to live. Yeah, that's not sustainable. You know, um, Richard Rohr says, puts it this way. He says, can I do something for others that does not get noticed or rewarded? So twos are the most relational type on the Enneagram. And so everything they do, they are thinking about their relationships and the implications of that. So it's really important for twos to think about what can I do that nobody else will know about that's going to be life giving for me and and do, go and do that thing. I think, too, like it's important to go through a season where twos just like say no to things, yeah. you know, where they just go like, I can't do that or I can't help you. And I definitely think regardless of whether it's a season, I think permanently two should take a posture of I'll get back to you yeah. or let me think about that. Yeah, that's actually the second solution is say maybe on the way from yes to no. So, you know, you're hearing this and, and you're you're already freaking out about the fact that we're now telling you to say no. We'll say maybe say give me 24 hours. Can I get back to you? Um, let me check my schedule or I actually think I might you know need to take off that day. I think it's really important for twos to create margin and uh, it's OK to say maybe. Okay, finally, the third solution is accept your emotions while still containing your emotions. And here's Mm. basically what that means. Like, 
you guys are in the heart triad. Like y'all are my people. Like I'm in the heart triad too. Like we feel big. Like yeah. our emotions are big. We feel big. But that also doesn't mean that the emotions have to ruin our life. Like they, we don't need to deny that we have the emotions. We also don't need to let the emotions like run away with us. Yeah, I think you say it well when you say like you have to acknowledge your emotions and they can sit in the car with you, but do not give them access to the driver's seat. They yeah, can yeah, sit they in the do passenger not seat. need the steering wheel. Yeah, the back seat, the trunk, somewhere they can. You can stay with them, but do not let them take the steering wheel. I'm not going to put them in the trunk. <laughs> I don't uh, know. I put my emotions in the trunk. It's working really well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, things like uh, journal about your feelings. Mm-hmm. Talk about your feelings, um, but also just like challenge your feelings as possibly not being the ultimate truth. Yeah, I think, I think that's really important. I think that a lot of the literature and the Enneagram say that uh, the two is the most sensitive to the needs of others. And so you guys kind of live with the idea that everybody else is as sensitive as you. So you're you're drawing near to people first. You know, you're asking, how are you? I, I can imagine that you must be in pain or in need. That's your gift to the world. Your hypersensitivity is a gift. This person senses needs. And, and things faster. So two is that your gift, but just learn to live with that and and try to retrain your narrative to say that maybe not everybody's as sensitive as me and that's okay. And I can't I can't take offense to that. Okay, so that was problem number two. Let's move on to problem three. So problem three, avoiding rejection by avoiding boundaries. So the first solution for this problem is learning the benefits of boundaries. I've heard this illustration once that was really helpful. A train needs the tracks in order to move. If a train doesn't have tracks, it can't go anywhere. It needs those boundaries in order for the engine to actually work. And so if you if a train derails or if the train has no tracks at all, it's stagnant. Um, and if the train derails, it will cause problems. So you need to learn to stay in your lane, learn the benefit of boundaries. The things you can say no to actually will create better margin for you to be able to say yes to um, other things in the future. Yeah, and it's important to know what's yours and what's not yours. Mm, like, yeah. like some things in life, yeah, they're your responsibility and those are... You know, God is calling you to respond. But there's a lot of things that, like, it's not on you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we've talked about this before. Like, the one person in history who should have had a God complex didn't, and that was Jesus. Right. You know, um, Jesus set boundaries. Uh, Jesus met his personal needs. Um, so, like, he ate healthy food. He got the sleep he needed. He took naps, uh, even though he knew that the whole world depended on him. And yet he's like, I'm going to go take a nap. Right. Um, he received support from his friends. I mean, he sought out the company of his friends when he needed them. Uh, he enjoyed solitude. He withdrew from the crowds to go away on a retreat. And he also, like, he was really good about enjoying the moment. So, like, he would be with uh, these people in this place at this point in time. And then the other thing, too, that's really telling about Jesus is, like, he ultimately abandoned outcomes to God. Mm, like, he really didn't good. try to control the end. He would go, like, Father... I don't want this, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's your will, not mine. Yeah. And I will do whatever it is that you want me to do. And do like, he'd have like a line of people that had all these needs and he'd be like, I need to go be alone right now. Yeah. Like that is That's incredible. Hard. I think twos want to control their actions and also other people's feelings about their actions. And you can't control feelings of other people. You can only control your own feelings and your own actions. Yeah. So it's really important for the two to, to entrust the outcome. Even if those people reject you, that you still have a place and that you are still taken care of by your father. Okay. The second solution is get an accurate view of yourself. So I think it's really important to find like the sweet spot between like 
self-inflation and self-deflation. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a lot of twos can sort of swing wildly back and forth between like self-belittling, like, oh, like I'm not that important, you know, and, and no one needs me. And then all of a sudden being like, I'm indispensable. Everyone yeah. needs me or this is going to fall apart. And so I think it's really important for twos to like to do the work of just getting an accurate view of themselves. And I think the place that offers that accurate view is God. I think that I think that the scriptures offer us an accurate view. Like what does the Lord tell us about ourselves, both the good and the bad? Mm. And then how do we receive the good? But how do we also allow the Lord to begin to bring healing to the bad? That's good. Finally, the third solution, face your pain in a conscious way so you can let it go. I think it's really important here for the word conscious. Um, a lot of times the, there's pain that, that remains maybe unconscious or it comes out kind of sideways and it gets externalized onto other people. But for twos, it's really important for you guys to acknowledge ways that you've been hurt, betrayed, abandoned, felt left out. Acknowledge the pain, bring it up to the surface, but then release it. Um, you know, in a journal, if if there are other people involved with those people, but then um, entrust that the Lord is the one that's seeing it and holding it all. Yeah, I think that a lot of, people, we want to move to the space where like, I'm healed. Like, Mm. I feel good. I'm past that. I'm past that pain. I don't worry about that or feel that anymore. Yeah. But really, the only way that we get to that place is that we first have to acknowledge it and then we have to grieve it. And then it's through acknowledging and grieving that finally healing comes and we can go, okay, I can now finally move forward. Mm. But we don't get to skip through that. There's, It's just not possible. Like yep. the only way through it is through it. Mm, that's good. Okay, well, when we come back, we're going to be talking with recording artist and worship leader, Greg LaFollette. Stay with us. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There, you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story, plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click Store. Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Greg LaFollette. Greg is a musician and producer in Nashville, Tennessee. He is the resident artist at a local church plant, Grace Story Church, and serves as their director of arts and liturgy. Greg has been involved in more than 100 records in his career. He's worked with Andrew Peterson, Audrey Assad, Waterdeep, Matt Wirtz, Robbie Saban, and many others. Uh, His most recent album is Songs of Common Prayer, an album that uses lyrics exclusively from the Book of Common Prayer. It was also my top five albums in the last year. And Greg is a two on the Enneagram. Greg, welcome to the Enneacast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we are excited to have you have you on. You know, I was telling you just a minute ago, but Spotify randomly uh, pulled up all of my most listened to albums of 2018, and uh, you were right at the top. Uh, your your album, 
I just found it like such a beautiful and like healing album. Mm. I'm so glad, man. Happy to help. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to help. Did you hear that? Like a two. (laughs) I know. See, see what he did there? (laughs) Yeah. So, so before we get into like the like nitty gritty, like hard stuff, what about the resourceful traits of the two do you enjoy the most? I think I was glad and proud to find that I was a two at first. And I, you know, had a lot in common with Mother Teresa and Desmond Tutu. Mm-hmm. And it was like, all right, I'm on my way to my yeah, Nobel you're in good Peace company. Prize, yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You're going to get sainted. Um, yeah. So I'm a two with a three wing. Um, so I I really like hosting parties. I, I like to throw parties. Um, I really like the privilege of to just get to be in people's lives and like play a small role. I had some friends who were um, having a child and I lived closest to them out of all of our friends. And so they were like, can you be the guy we call if something happens and you can stay with our other kids while we make the mad dash to the hospital? That sort of thing made me like, that was like a dream scenario. Like, <laughs> Being you know, on standby for maybe, someone yeah, in case of emergency. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I was on call, you know. Hmm, that's good. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about pride. Uh, can you talk about uh, your own experience of pride and, and where do you think the struggle comes from? I So when I think of pride, I often think of Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Do you remember <laughs> yeah. that guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> no one does all the things like Gaston does. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No one. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So so that's the like classic picture of pride. Right. Puffed up, larger than life, bigger, better, smarter, more valuable. But I think pride can showcase itself equally as self-deprecation. I've heard it said that self-loathing is just another form of self-worship. Wow. So I behave in both ways. Sometimes I'm Gaston and I'm the life of the party and I'm DJing the the dancing and I'm flexing my social prowess and earning admiration. And other times I tend toward pity parties, not having an imagination for hope. I was struck by, I saw a movie called First Reformed recently, and there's a Thomas Merton quote in it. And it says, despair is a development of pride so great that it chooses someone's certitude rather than admit that God is more creative than we are. And that like really resonated with me. So in moments when gratitude is hard to come by, uh, that perspective is definitely evident in my life. Well, let's let's talk through the the different problems that we that we talked about before the commercial. So, problem number one is ignoring your own needs and feelings in order to maintain relationships. Greg, how have you seen this show up in your life? This problem has done more than show up in my life. It's it's been a a whale that has swallowed me up and. Uh, I I think I spent most of my life in ignorance about what my desires and needs were. I didn't express them chiefly because I wasn't aware of them. And so I think the majority of my life has been unknowingly lived in survival mode. So you said, how do I maintain relationships? I think that's a great word for it. It was just sort of maintaining. Is it really a sense of like, you know, when we think of maintaining relationships, is it is it in response to the fear of the opposite, which is that I'll be abandoned if I don't continue to give to these people in my life? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, I think it all kind of boils down to a basic fear of, I, I think people don't like me. I, I just think in general, not that I've done something wrong, but I am something wrong. Right. You know, yeah. there's just something wrong with me and I'm not you know, worthy of being chosen. 
you know, and in life, it only takes a couple experiences of being unchosen to mark you forever, you know, and to wound you so deeply. And so, you know, if you are unchosen, you know, in third grade kickball game or in high school by a girl you asked to a dance or, or in a marriage, in a church, things like that, it's, you know, it takes a lot of work to overcome that message. Yeah, yeah. Well, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, we explored some of the different solutions um, to this particular problem. You know, so for the two, God invites the two into a life of humility. Which which of the solutions really struck a chord with you? Which one resonated with you? I do a thing called feelings checks. It's a tool that I learned from 12-step programs. It's basically just asking, checking in with yourself and asking, how am I feeling physically, emotionally, and spiritually? Just a few words suffices. You know, for instance, my jaw is clenched, my back is sore, and I'm cold physically, emotionally. I am sad, lonely, glad, spiritually I feel connected to God and able to communicate honestly. And I feel like I'm asking, I'm really good at asking questions of him, but I could probably practice listening and waiting for the answers. So that's like checking in physically, emotionally, and spiritually in what, 25 seconds or something. Um, but yeah, this pra- that practice has like changed my life. It, it helps me to know what I'm bringing into a meeting with a client or carrying to worship on Sunday or even what I'm looking for in a mate. It just provides a place to begin um, when I ask myself, why did I do what I did? Like, it's almost like you're checking the stats, you know? It's like you're, you know, you're just literally pausing for a second and going like, hey, can I get a status update here? And it's just, you're going down the list and you're like, oh, okay, this gives me an accurate picture of where I really am, um, as opposed to just like living on autopilot. Yeah. And I, I actually, I try to do this in the morning, um, even before I would, you know, maybe pray or, or read the Bible or something. And I, I look at it as, uh, my role in my relationship with God, um, to come and, you know, metaphorically sit down at the table and say, here's where I'm at. I didn't get, I didn't sleep well. My back hurts. I need to go to the chiropractor. Uh, I had weird dreams that made me super sad. I've lost things in my life and I was reminded of them. And I know I'm not alone, but I feel alone. When I can come with all of that information to a conversation with God, the vulnerability and the richness and the depth and the intimacy that results, that can result, is well worth it. Yeah, because that's your true self. You know, you're not showing up with like, that's right. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Like, you're not doing that with God. You know, like you're you're bringing your full honesty and yeah, and doing kind of like that status report and just to kind of cut out all of the the pleasantries that we may get away with doing in our face to face relationships. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so common when we don't know what to pray. What do we pray? God, thank you for today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's like yeah. it just comes out. You know mm-hmm. and. That's a great practice on on one hand. On the other hand, there are plenty of days that I don't think are great, Hmm. if I'm honest, Mm -hmm. you know, like I have to get there (laughs) and uh, and kind of make myself believe that it's good. It is capital G good. So so it's just good to not come and say what we should say, but to come and say what we what is true to us. That's good. That's good. 
Yeah, so uh, I want to shift gears a little bit again to the second problem that we uh, mentioned earlier, which is uh, two's tendency to control relationships by that shifting to help or please. So we've talked a little bit about it already, but yeah, what does that shape-shifting tendency look like for you? And uh, speak a little bit to like when you started to first kind of recognize it and then how can you get out of that? Well... Honestly, I don't deal. I don't struggle with that. I'm really good at that one. You That's know, good. Just, yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah, good. <laughs> no, 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 All no, right, no. Next question. I, <laughs> I grew up. Um, I think I, I grew up viewing the ability to shape shift as a virtue. Actually, I, I admired Jesus's emptying of himself and aspired to it. The problem with that was that I never really possessed much of a self to pour out. <laughs> so, I think I think Jesus actually provides a healthy model. It's sort of a three-step model. Step one, figure out how you feel, what you want, what you need. Okay. So for instance, feelings check once again, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Okay. Physically, I'm sweating blood. (laughs) I feel lonely as hell. My friends obviously don't care about me. I'm sorrowful even to death. I'm so sad I could die. I feel like I'm having the same conversation with God over and over again. Okay, so that's step one, just figuring out how we're feeling. Step two, it's sharing our feelings and needs and desires and what we just discovered um, honestly and clearly. So Jesus did this by saying, God, I want you to take this cup from me. I know we talked about this beforehand, but I don't want to do this anymore. If there's any way to let the cup pass from me, I don't want to do it. Right. So that's step two is being honest. Every relationship hinges on honesty, um, and our relationship with God is not excluded from that. So even if it's not the thing that the other person wants to hear, it's so important to be able to be honest about those things. And then the third step is submission and emptying and humility. Um, Once we have figured out, out how we feel and shared how we feel, then I think it's appropriate for us to give a gift or to serve somebody. And Jesus did this in in saying, not as I will, but as you will. Your will be done, not my will be done. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the ability to give from a place, uh, well, you said it earlier, you can't give of yourself if you don't have a self. And, right. and you can't give if you don't have anything to give from. And so, um, so you don't want to just give on autopilot, but you need to like thoughtfully go, okay, I'm choosing to do this because through the course of discernment, this is the correct and good and godly action. That's right. Because I think when, for me, when I am not aware, when I'm not paying attention and trying to address these, these truths about myself, I behave out of my brokenness. I, I am generous, but it's only because I want people to like me or I give, I give great gifts because I want great gifts back. I show up for people when they're sick because I want people to show up for me when I'm sick. You know, it's if I'm not paying attention, most of my virtuous actions are actually born out of a non-virtuous motivation. And and I think that's why that's why we have to stay aware and pay attention and do the hard work of figuring out how we feel and what we need. I have a I have a sign on my bedroom wall right by the right by the door that I see every day that just says, what do I need? And it's just a constant reminder for me to figure it out. Um, yeah. Because I'm going to I'm gonna try to get what I need. One way or the other, we all do. It That's just right. might be some of it's healthier than others. That's right. Exactly. 
Well, and that and that gets into uh, the next problem because you're getting into the issue of boundaries. So mm. problem number three for folks, uh, for twos, is avoiding rejection by avoiding boundaries. For you, Greg, like what does it look like when you begin to avoid boundaries and and what do you do about that? So for me, I can be overly intimate, um, which doesn't necessarily mean that I just make out with a girl on the first date, but it like it just right, means right. I can I can really lead with like vulnerability in a pretty heavy handed way. I can kind of manipulate people in into really respecting or thinking I'm smart or just really being drawn to me. Um, I can be very kind of seductive. And so boundaries for me sometimes are just learning um, who I can trust, who has earned, you know, Brene Brown talks about floating out small things with friends. And then if they, if they are responsible with those things then they can, you know, try something a little bit more intense, share a, a little bit darker secret and if they're okay with that, then, you know, they will earn your trust and then it's okay to, you know, bury your soul to them. But I think, I think I can struggle with being too self, too generous with myself sometimes, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, boundaries are often can be thought of in very practical terms, but that's kind of a, a very personal boundary for me. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I, think that's that, good. Th- I mean, that is a good one. And it's something that, you know, so uh, I mean, I see other types on the Enneagram struggle with the same thing with being overly divulgent too quickly. And then what ends up happening is they do experience rejection because they inadvertently freak the other person out because the nature of the relationship doesn't warrant that level of intimacy that quickly. So you given somebody something very precious to you, they panic and they withdraw, and then you go, see, now I'm rejected. And it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's right. Yeah, okay, so um, for those in the heart triad, uh, your all's primary struggle is that of shame. So as best you can, can you just articulate a little bit, like where does shame show up in your life and how have you learned to recognize it? And then how have you learned to combat that false sense of shame? The one thing I've learned about shame is just the power of saying things out loud. Like it just dispels shame. You know, it's so scary because it gives people the the choice. Do am I still okay now that you know this about me? Am I still okay? But uh, I just needed to say it out loud because I uh, it makes me really scared to do something that makes you not proud of me because I just want you to like me so much and I want you to respect me and I don't want to lose you. And when you are chosen in that moment by either by God or by a friend, man, that's it. Just it's a it's a game changer you know yeah, to for to sure. be fully known and fully chosen that's what god uh, that's the gospel you know <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's true well that's pretty much the perfect conclusion to uh, to this conversation so um so greg you want you want to play a game Sure. <laughs> I like you said, games. You sounded so excited. <laughs> so, all right. Well, when we come back, we'll be playing You've Got Problems with Greg LaFollette. Stay with us. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring type two, the helper. And one of the things that is wonderful about this type is that they love to help people in need, which actually makes me think of our other podcast. The Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And I especially want to encourage you to go check out episode number 19, where the gospel meets special needs. It was really hard not knowing how things would turn out. In sort of a flat, 
deadpan way she delivered results to us. Do we really believe that God is sovereign? Their identity is not the autistic boy. He has a name. Or do we just believe that God is sovereign in the places that it's convenient for him to be sovereign? Subscribe to the Love That Neighborhood podcast in whatever podcast app you prefer, or head over to lovethyneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Welcome back to the IndieCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And right now, we're going to play You've Got Problems. You've Got Problems is based off a real game by Jack Dyer. You can find it on Amazon or by going to jackdyer.com. A word of warning, though, for our listeners, if you play it, you will want to go through and censor some of the cards before you play it in mixed company. Okay, Greg, uh, here's how you play. For each round, Sam and I are going to each present you with two perk cards. These cards have wonderful, useful, just like plain awesome things on them. Okay. And you're going to choose which perks you would like to have in real life. However, before you choose, Sam and I are each going to sabotage each other's perks with a problem. So whichever perks you choose will also have a problem that come with them. So after we sabotage, you have to choose which set of perks and which problem you would go for in real life. Uh, so whoever set of perks you choose, that person gets a point. Best out of three wins. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Okay, okay. I've got mine. I'm ready to go. Uh, Greg, here are the perks that I'm offering you, and they're pretty amazing. Perk number one, nobody will ever disappoint you again. And perk number two, you get both these, you always say the perfect thing. Mm. All right. My perks are that you can wish anything clean. So you never have to do chores again. And you can also help other people with all of the ways that you can uh, clean for them. And you will wake up well rested no matter how long you sleep. Mm. So more time to help people. Okay. Okay. So you can wish anything clean and you always feel well rested, but there is a problem. And the problem is that you can't hear music. Oh, no. So his career's okay. over. <laughs> yeah, his career's done. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so sure, Greg. So you may always say the perfect thing, and you'll you'll live a life of uh, not being disappointed. But think of the worst heartbreak you or anyone you know has gone through, and you will always feel like that. Oh, my gosh. Wowzers. <laughs> Less intense one. Thank you. <laughs> the other one that I didn't read was, you'll never be loved by anyone. <laughs> so... I just wanted to spare you on that one. Okay. This game got real hard right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you've got problems. I thought I knew the answer. Mm. I, I, okay. So they're a little like um, mutually exclusive though. I, how could I never be disappointed and always be feeling heartbreak? Yeah. The problem cancels out the perk. Oh, well, screw that. I'm, I'm a... <laughs> 
I'm, I can do other, I can like be a basketball coach or something. I'm, I would, yeah, I'm not feeling heartbreak for the rest of my life. That's for sure. <laughs> All so right. who wins that round? I don't so even Sam, really you know. won. I won. Yeah. You yeah. won. Yeah. I trumped your, your perks. Mm. Uh, all right, Sam, here you go. Oh, wow. These are great perks. Okay, I'll go first. All right, Greg. No one ever blames you for anything ever again. And you can fix anything. So you're like the most helpful person ever. And you're living scot-free because no one, nothing is ever going to be your fault again. Sounds like a dream. Yeah. Okay, well, that's fine, but not that cool. Because <laughs> um, I'm offering you that you have a magic bag that holds everything on Amazon for free <laughs> and and more magic you get so much magic in these perks you also get a magic phone that will text you the correct answer to any question you ask it about anything awesome okay sure that there's a lot of magic stuff in jesse's perk but your only mode of transportation is crab walking <laughs> So good luck having friends or getting anywhere. Uh, okay. So while it's true that Sam is offering that you can fix anything and that nobody ever blames you for anything, there is a problem. And the problem is that you are a corn dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No. <laughs> That's so specific. That's a, that's a serious he, problem. What could he do? That's a condition. Not that he has like corn dogs for fingers or, you know. No, it's not like a part of you is a corn dog. <laughs> you are a corn dog. Uh, I, uh, I'm i going to choose uh, the magic and the crab walking on that one. So uh, so do I win again? No, do you win? No, so I took that one. I, yep. I finally got you a trumped, point. You trumped what, me. What, what, All right. Yeah, because awesome. no one can live as a corn dog. All right, I'm going to give you some specific ones this time around. We're going to try something uh, a little more a little more tactile. Um, okay. So my two perks for you are no gross bugs will come within 100 feet of you, and you never get lost. Do you, okay. ten, do you tend to get lost ever? Or is that like I do, a thing? yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, well, not anymore, buddy. <laughs> Never use Google Maps again. What could be the problem with no gross bugs and uh, never getting lost? All, All right. right. So sure, that is, you know, those are some, some good perks over there. But my uh, life for you is that you never have to pay taxes and every person on earth owes you a huge favor. Okay. Um, okay. So <laughs> these are, I have so many good choices. Okay. So while it is true that Sam is offering you these great perks that every person on earth owes you a huge favor and you never have to pay taxes again, there is a problem. And the problem is that electronic devices within 10 feet of you don't work. Okay. So no refrigerators, no microwaves, no TVs, no phones. Yeah, no, it's a problem. I was only That's thinking a... of phones. No. <laughs> Like he, this guy, like you walk into a room and like the lights turn off. Mm. And this and podcast is over. Yeah. This podcast is done, that. son. Man, we've got yeah. problems then. If yeah. That's true. <laughs> okay. 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 I got it. Sure. Jesse's life comes with never getting lost and no more gross bugs, but sunlight will kill you. <laughs> 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 so you're a vampire, I guess. I don't know if that's actually what vampires <laughs> I don't are think like. That was a big leap to go from sunlight <laughs> will kill you to you're a vampire. Yeah, well, they can true. go out in the sun. So yeah, sunlight will kill you. Sorry. Uh, I would rather have all, to eat um, only non-refrigerated foods. 
Okay. So, so I'm going no taxes and everybody owes me a favor. Yeah. And, so I, I, went and I don't get electronics. Man. No screen time. No more screen time. Let me let me ask you this. <laughs> I had this choice of playing everyone you touch turns into an angry bat. Would that have done <laughs> it for you? <laughs> I also had a card <laughs> that says your face trades places with your butt every 12 minutes, but I chose not to play that one because I didn't want to say it out loud. <laughs> so I just That one is awesome. I love that one. Every 12 minutes, I love that, that that it's got a timer. Hey, is the casserole done? I'm not sure. Let me see if my butts trade places with <laughs> <in> my <laughs> Let's see if my face is a butt right now. <laughs> so Sam 2, Jesse 1. Sam is victorious. Ooh, ooh. Ah, very good. Okay, so we're going to end each episode this season by asking our guest questions from our listeners. And so let's do that now. The first one comes from Nizak Mama. Uh, the question is, what does it look like for twos to display authentic humility, and how can they know the difference? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Mm. It, I think it, when my humility is most authentic is when it's balanced, when, when it's an accurate assessment of myself, when when I can say, you know, I am a good man for this job. I am like a good person to be a friend to this person. I know what I'm doing with this helping stuff. And also I know that a lot of times, and if I'm not paying attention, my, my helping is self-serving and that's, you know, that's kind of the dark side of me. And I think the humble thing is to actually go through is often for me to go through with the behavior with all of that information, knowing that I'm motivated by, not being chosen. I'm motivated by being afraid that I'm uh, not good enough, but I'm also motivated by like the Holy Spirit and a genuine desire to help um, by the experience of my life that tells me when I help people, it makes me feel good. Um, so I think I th- it's, that's kind of a, that kind of turns it on its head a little bit, but I think for me, that's when it feels the most right. I don't know. The the truest of me is when I when it is a really true, accurate assessment of myself and my assessment of my value. I think that's good. Okay. Uh, next question comes from an anonymous asker that uh, says, how do we balance our call to serve others with our need for self-care? I think, I think it comes in the knowledge or the learning that in helping that there is a symbiotic relationship between the two things. When we help people, we are it is possible for us to be feeding ourselves and to be loving ourselves well. And also the inverse is true that when we are taking care of ourselves, it can be the best way we are, we can take care of someone else. So maybe, maybe it's not a balance as much as an accepting that um, both things, we have to figure out a way for both things to be true at the same time. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. Like the gift of the two is to serve and to be hospitable. So for you, like a sign of health is that you have the margin in your life to have people over, to invite people in, you know, to, to welcome them, to give them things. And I don't think that the the way forward for twos is to stop doing that. I think it's just to create enough margin to also take care of yourself and to also recognize your needs without, you know, hey, everybody come over, like, and that becomes a self-serving thing. So I think instead of moving from like maybe a linear scale of like balancing the right and left, I think 
making it like a symbiotic thing, like you were saying, almost making it like a ebb and flow, like a circular kind of movement. Well, cool. Um, hey, well, listen, Greg, we've really enjoyed having you on today, and we really appreciate just uh, all that you've shared with us. And I know that our listeners are really going to appreciate uh, just just your your insight, your reflection, and just your vulnerability. So, thank yeah. you. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you to our guest today, Greg LaFollette. You can hear Greg's music by visiting greglafollette.com. That's Greg, L-A-F-O-L-L-E-T-T-E.com. Again, Greg's most uh, recent album is Songs of Common Prayer. I highly recommend it. It's one of the best albums I've heard in a long time. Also, thank you to our friends at Crosspoint Ministry who trained Sam and I in the Enneagram. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their amazing retreats, visit crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or for a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.